Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Direct your attention to the screen as we wrap up our last rendition of Christmas at the Movie. Ah, there it is. My house. How could I ever forget it? That star is crooked. Christmas was on its way. Ralphie, what would you like for Christmas? I want an official Red Rider Carbon Action 200 Wayne's Ball Air Rifle. No, shoot your eye out. Oh, no. Come on, Mom, we're going to be late. I triple dog dare you. For Christmas. Aha! A little bribe never hurts. A lamp! A wow! When all is most right with the world. Oh, you should see what it looks like from out here! The most unthinkable disasters descend upon us. <laughs> Scott Farkas. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Ho, ho, ho. The classics. It is eight days until Christmas, and I feel like now the true Christmas classics really start to kind of come out. And so uh, I made a discovery this week, as uh, you know, as as Meg was asking what I was, what movie I was preaching on, as did my staff. Uh, I went into the office to talk to one of uh, our staff members, and I said, "I'm preaching on the Christmas story. I love it." And she, I'm not going to say which she, but it was a she on the staff. She said. I, I've never seen it. And I said, what? Are you kidding me? You've never seen a Christmas story? And she's like, no. I'm like, hey, let me, let me just reel back my excitement. You're not in trouble. Okay. Just, I'm surprised that you have not seen a Christmas story. And then I went home and I said, babe, can you believe she hasn't seen it? And she goes, yeah, cause I haven't. And I said, what are you kidding me and she goes we've had this discussion already and i said what like we have not had this discussion there's no way that we've had this she goes you say that every year i've never seen it and i'm like okay so we're gonna watch that and then she goes okay but if you're gonna watch that then you have to watch it's a wonderful life and i said deal we watch neither of them it's all good I love this movie. It is a classic for me. This is the one that I truly love watching every single year because it just brings a sense of nostalgia for me. This was the movie that we watched every single year at my grandma's house. 
And I don't mind telling you, um, even as a 28-year-old man, uh, there is still one scene that sends a shiver up my spine. And when this wonderful human being named Scott Farkas comes out of the fence and he has that like, I'm like, whoa, you are psychotic. This is, this is not right. This is not good. It's still, as a grown man, it like sends fear into my bones like I've never experienced before. And uh, the guy's probably really old at this point, but I digress. It's just weird. But this movie is one of my favorites because what I really love about it is the cinematography is not great. Things have gotten way better over the years. But the thing that I love that they do such a good job of is they really capture the gist of what it's like to be a kid at Christmas, don't they? Like, I love how the whole movie is basically through the eyes and the mind of Ralphie. And so you you have this whole kind of life that Ralphie has of, you know, you're on the playground, you have this banter back and forth, and I triple dog dare you, the kiss of death, right? And then all of a sudden, there's your tongue on the pole. That's such like a kid thing to do. The other thing is to have the responsibility of an older brother when his little brother comes waddling out of the house with all of his clothes, and he's annoyed by him. That's being a kid, right, with siblings. There's also when your mom asked, nay, demands that you put on some pajamas she picked out for you, and you come down in the bunny costume. That's being a kid. And the last part, the, my favorite part, is that joy and anticipation of Christmas morning as a kid. You remember that? Like how you literally just waited for Christmas morning. You're like, oh, my gosh. How many days now, Mom? 24. How many more days, Mom? 24. You asked me that five minutes. How many more days, Mom? 24. Right? Like you, you have that moment of where they're just so, so excited and that's exactly what ralphie's got going on in the movie because he wants a red rider range model air rifle with the compass in the stock what a great gift what an awesome awesome gift and as you see in the movie uh he gets a little bit of opposition but it doesn't change the fact that that's what he wants more than anything Else. And this morning, as we talk about a Christmas story, I want to show you that same kind of excitement, that same kind of joy that is found in the Christmas story, which we find in Luke chapter 2. So it'll be on the screen behind me, but let me read this to you. Luke chapter 2, verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, when an angel of the Lord appeared to them in the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You've seen the nativity sets. Maybe you have them at your house, little precious moments, figurines, right? You've, you've had the little 
barn, if you will, with Jesus and Joseph and Mary and the whole thing. You've seen the nativity sets, all those different things. You've probably heard the Christmas story before. If you've come to church or, or whatever, it looks like you're probably familiar with this. But what we don't always understand is this moment of the Christmas story, this birth of Jesus is the end of a very awesome story. You might be sitting here going, the end of the story? The birth is the beginning. And you're right, it's the beginning of the story of Jesus. But the story of waiting for him to be born is a much longer story. When we read the Bible, we're coming into the last 15 minutes of a two-hour movie, if you will. You're coming into the, the climax of the movie where Jesus is born. But let me show you what goes into that because it talks and it speaks to the joy of waiting. Because if you go all the way back to Genesis 49, the first book of the Bible, there is a prophecy in there. And basically it's God speaking to a man named Jacob saying, hey, Jacob, I'm going to tell you the future. This son's going to turn out that way. This son's going to look like this. This son's going to do that. And then he speaks this kind of mysterious prophecy here in Genesis 49. Look what it says. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. If that sounds confusing to you, it was confusing to them as well. They're like, what in the world does that even mean? Well, a scepter, it's kind of like that little like cane thing that kings hold that makes them look all cool and fancy, right? That's a scepter. It's kind of a symbol of authority, of ruling. And so here in the prophecy, it says the scepter will not depart from Judah. Judah is a man. Judah is going to die. So how in the world is that scepter, how, how is he going to rule forever if he's dead? The valid question, right? Well, if you had the ability to fast forward a thousand years, in Luke chapter 3, you find that Jesus is from the line of Judah. So this prophecy is speaking to, at one point, Jesus is going to be born, and he's going to rule forever from the line of Judah. The second prophecy is this, Isaiah chapter 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Thanks, guys. Thank you. First service, uh, they were not impressed by my singing. Let me tell you what. Until I, until I was like, you know, they could tell my feelings were hurt, and then they gave me a standing ovation. It was awesome. Does that sound familiar to anybody? The story of a virgin conceiving and giving birth to a son calling Emmanuel. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Because I, Yeah, it, it, it should. We just talked about that. We're celebrating that. All these good things. Here's the kicker. When Isaiah chapter 7 was spoken, it was in the 8th century B.C., which is seven to 800 years before Christ. That's a long time to go. What's really cool is in Matthew chapter 1, look what it says. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, yada, yada, yada. When Jesus was born in the manger, parents are like, the prophecy's been fulfilled. Finally, it's here. Look what happened. And the last thing I want to show you is the third prophecy. All these things happened before Jesus, but they all pointed to the future. Isaiah 61, the spirit 
of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness from the prisoner. They're speaking about what Jesus is going to be. And what's really cool is if you open up your Bible and go to Luke chapter 4, it says, He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus goes into the temple. He reads that exact same prophecy from Isaiah 61 and says, Hey, fellas, ladies, that's me. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Now, if you're like, well, that's a lot you just threw at me, man. Let me break it down. What I'm trying to tell you is that the plan of Jesus, the birth of Jesus that we're going to celebrate here in eight days, nine days, whatever it is, the joy of that we get to appreciate now, even knowing how the story ends. But for the people living in the time that Jesus was born, this was a huge, huge, huge deal. Like a massive, massive deal. Because the first prophecy I spoke about, Genesis 49, we can't be exactly sure, but they think that it was written somewhere around 1400 B.C. The other two were in 700 B.C. So think about that. For 1400 years, they've been waiting for the birth of this Messiah who's going to come and bind up broken hearts. He's going to set people free. He's going to make them like, free from all their stuff. And you have to understand, Israel, they were the little guy. They didn't have power. They didn't have resources. They were always the little brother that got picked on and got forced to do all the junky stuff. So when they're waiting for this Messiah that's going to give them freedom and it's going to give them purpose and strength and binding up their hearts and good news, this is like better than a red rider. This is like, Amazing. This is the very thing that they've been craving for their whole life. The kicker is, you know how long 1,400 years is. We struggle at the DMV. Two hours? I got stuff to do. We struggle with waiting. And these guys and girls had to wait for 1,400 years. United States of America is 247 years old. 247 years ago, we were fighting with muskets, standing in lines. Why that was a good idea, I have no clue. But that's what we were doing. Look how much has changed in that time. And you have to think, let's just round up to 300. They were only a quarter to a fifth of the way there of that waiting. When I say it, they had to wait a long time for that moment. It can't be understated how long they had been waiting. And to really kind of make this set in, they didn't have printing when this was written. The way they heard about this is grandpa told dad, who told me, who told my son. So think about that. They hear this prophecy in 700 BC, and they're like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to tell my son. And when he gets old old enough to be my age, I'm going to tell my son. And then my son, and his son, and his son, and his son. But the prophecy is not fulfilled, is it? And what happens the longer we wait? Do we become more assured or less assured of the fulfillment of that promise? I know how I am. And the longer I wait, the more I'm like, oh, this ain't happening. So think about that. 
grandpa, told father, told son, told grandson, told great-grandson. And for years and years, they've been waiting for this very thing, and it's not coming. And it's not just like, oh, no big deal. It's like they are waiting anxiously, like, when is this coming? When is this happening? Until finally it does. Really kind of throw off everything we know. Jesus was probably born around 3 B.C., not at zero, but at around 3 B.C., Jesus was born. And what I want to show you is how excited they were. When you read in the Christmas story, look what the angel says. The angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Of course it does. They've been waiting for this long. Of course there's going to be joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. He is the Messiah, the very thing you've been waiting for. He's finally here. And when you wait that long for something, when it finally gets here, you get a little excited. My God, would you look at that mess? Mm-hmm. Who's going to clean the papers up? Not me. Oh, no. no. Granny did it last year. Well, you can do it again. Mm. Yeah, this wine's not bad. Well, it's not good either, but he wants it. No, you don't. Did you have a nice Christmas? Yeah, pretty nice. Yeah, did you get everything you wanted? Mm, almost. <laughs> almost, huh? Mm. Well, that's, that's that's life. Well, there's always next Christmas. Yep. Hey, that's funny. What's that over there behind the desk? Where? Oh, behind the desk against the wall over there. Why don't you go check it out? say those things are dangerous. Noda, put on your galoshes and your coat. It's cold out. I, I had one when I was eight years old. He had asked and asked. He asked Santa at the mall. He asked his teacher. He asked over and over and over and over again. And 
I love like that. My parents were kind of the same way where it's like, hey, at the end of Christmas, if you're upset you didn't get one thing, guess what? The truck is going to get loaded with your presents. They're going back to Toys R Us when Toys R Us was still in business. That was how we were, too. It was kind of one of the same, like, you are grateful for what you have. And I love how Ralph kind of just accepted, like, you know what? It, it didn't happen. Which is, it made it all the more exciting when he did realize, like, you, you can almost, like, picture the stunned reaction on his face when it happened. And he just, he's filled with an uncontainable amount of joy. Can I go outside and use it right now? Yes. Right? They are so, so excited. And I want to show you something. When these angels come and speak to the shepherd boys and say, there's great news of, or good news of great joy. They have this, this crazy moment out in the field. And look how they respond. Verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They took off to go find this because they have waited for so long for this. And it is finally here. In this season of Christmas, there's a lot of words that we use to describe, you know, peace, hope, Noel, Emmanuel, all these great words that kind of epitomize Christmas. But I can't think of a better word that truly captures the essence of Christmas than the word of joy. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. The birth of Jesus meant that the Messiah was finally here. And what that meant is that 33 years from that moment, it's that moment where Jesus dies on the cross. And when he dies on the cross, what that means for the people of the past, the people of the present, the people of the future, is that when we make mistakes, we're not forsaken. When we make mistakes, he took our, our mistakes and sin and nailed it to the cross so that we could be forgiven, we could be redeemed. What the cross meant is that we could have a close, intimate relationship with God. We were not relegated to having to go through four different people or four different mediums to connect with God. We could have a personal connection with him just by uttering a prayer, just by picking up this book. That moment changed, not just that day and age, but it changed eternity forever. And that's why there is so much joy. That's why there is so much excitement. But what I'm encouraged by as I look at the Christmas story is that a big part of joy comes with waiting. Comes with waiting. I know I teased it earlier, but I feel like as a general rule of thumb, most human beings, present company included, despise waiting. We hate waiting. Our culture is not built for it. You need something, got on Amazon, it'll be here in about 10 minutes. Is what it feels like. Things happen quick. They happen efficiently. We are getting faster, 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 faster. And to have to wait is like nails on a chalkboard. But what I'm encouraged by in the Christmas season, and I'm encouraged by in the Christmas story, is sometimes you need to go through a waiting season to truly appreciate the joy on the other side of it. A lot of people in the room know that I am an avid duck hunter. It's what I live for. It's what I dream about. I'm in a short season right now where I'm just moping around the house because I know I got another nine months until I get to go again. But over the years, I've realized as a kid, I couldn't wait for the actual moment of the ducks coming in. That's what I was like, oh, I just hope they get here right now. But now as I get older, I find joy in the fact of the waiting. 
I get joy of tossing out the decoys, getting everything set, and just waiting in that quiet stillness until things get crazy. Because it's in that moment where you're waiting that that anticipation builds. It's in that moment in the waiting when you realize, I can't wait for this. And there are moments you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you eat a Snickers, you wait, and nothing happens. But when it does happen, the joy in the heart and the anticipation built, and it makes it all the more sweeter. I know that waiting is difficult. I know that it's, it's challenging at times. I know that sometimes it's that very waiting that feels like it robs you of your joy. But when I look at the Christmas story, there's one thing that just sticks out to me so much. When you look at the Christmas story, the shepherds were in a field just minding their own business, and they ran to wherever they were. How far that was, I don't know. But they ran. The Magi saw the star in the sky, and so they started a multi-month, maybe year-long pilgrimage to go and find Jesus. It's a long season of waiting to get there. I look at Mary and Joseph. I'm not a female, but from what I do know about carrying a child, that waiting period gets long. At first, it's like, oh, this is so exciting. And by eight and a half months, it's like, get this thing out of me. Waiting is difficult. But imagine what it's like to wait when you know the child you're about to bring forth is the most important person that's ever going to live. Imagine the pressure of carrying the one that has been waited for for 1,400 years. That's a lot of waiting. Each day probably felt like an eternity. But look what happens when Jesus comes. Mary and Joseph treasure these things in their heart. They're happy. The Magi make a thousand-mile journey, and they bow down in reverence of the Messiah. The shepherd boys come in all hot and sweaty. (gasps) He's here! They're all so happy because they know the significance of this moment. They're all diverse. They're all going through different things. They all found joy in him. They're all in different seasons. They're all in different situations. They're all going through different emotions. They're all in different stages of life. But one thing that was unanimous, one thing that was universal, was the joy that was found in the birth of the Messiah. They all had to wait, but they all found joy in it. To me, what that says is joy is something we got to seek out and find because we're called to it. I've heard some great sermons in my life about the difference between happiness and joy. Some great ones out there. Preached a few of them myself. But joy sometimes gets this connotation of like, I'm just going to grab joy and just smile my way through it. But no, true, genuine joy is something you have to choose. But once you choose it, it happens naturally. The pilgrims, the Magi had to choose to make the long trip, but they found the joy. Mary and Joseph had to choose that they had to follow God's plan, but they found joy. Choosing joy is the hardest part. But then what happens as a byproduct 
is incredible. And what that tells me is you're not defined by your circumstances. You're not defined by what's going on in your life. You can find joy in any season of life. And it's not found by just making it up and manifesting it. It's found in the Messiah. And it's found in trusting him. We're called to joy. God wants us to live with a sense of joy. And I know that's hard. I know there are seasons when joy feels really difficult to come by. So if you're in that season, you're in one of those waiting seasons, let me tell you how I have found joy in some of the hardest seasons of my life personally. And here's the first one, prayer. Prayer changes things. I've said that before, and I believed it. But in the recent months in this year, I have seen how prayer legitimately changes things when you pray with a sincere heart. Look at this, Matthew chapter 7. Which of you, if your son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? No, if you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We know how to give good gifts to our kids. If God's a better father than we are, imagine what he wants to give us. When you pray, God, help me find joy. Help me find peace. Help me, you insert this. He's not going to say, sorry, not interested. No, he wants to give you those things. And you trust in him. And you believe in him. Prayer changes things. Secondly, how do you find joy? Fellowship and communion. Do you notice in this whole story how people are together? Mary and Joseph had visitors that helped them in the birth of this moment. There were people surrounding Jesus that came from all over the place. We are meant to have fellowship and communion with each other. Joy from the Lord is often translated through the warmth and words of other people. Where two or more are gathered, there I am with them. Because where God's presence is manifested is when we're together with people. You are not meant to do life alone. And if you're in a season where joy is tough to come by, I know the temptation of isolation. I know. But to find joy, you will find it through good, wholesome people. And it's important and critical to have that. And the third one, after prayer, after communion and fellowship, is knowledge. When you don't feel joy, it's important to know, to know joy is offered to you. Your emotions are indicators of your heart. But they're not law. Just because you don't feel joy doesn't mean joy isn't offered to us. There are moments I'm in a season where joy is tough to feel. But when I open this book and I read the promises of God, the promises that say, you will, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I will give you strength. I will give you a hope and a purpose. I have good plans for you. God can't lie. He is physically incapable of lying. So when he says, I will give you these things, it's not a hope. It's not just a whimsical prayer. It is a bona fide truth. And so when I'm not feeling joy, I go to this book because I say, God, even though I'm not feeling this right now, this is what you say. So help me find this. 
And it's amazing how things just kind of start to shift. Your attitude changes. Your perspective changes. Because God's fighting for you. Joy is something that's offered to us. And if you're in a season where joy is hard to find, don't feel condemned. Don't think you're doing something wrong. I'm just here to tell you. You can still find it. We're called to find it. Because here's what I know. I know as we go into this Christmas season, some of you are celebrated. It's been a great year. Promotions, family events, cool things that have just been awesome. We're praising God for a great 2023. Woohoo! I know there's other people that are going, oh, I'm not looking forward to Christmas this year. This is the first year that things are different. This is the first year that I don't want to go through this one. And I know some are here in this very room. I know some in this room are here. And I know some are somewhere in here. But the cool thing about the Christmas story is wherever you're at in this pendulum and spectrum, joy is offered. So here's my challenge to you this morning. Let's find joy together as a church. Let's cling to joy in a season where sometimes it's hard to find. And here's how we do it. Prayer, communion, all those things. But very practically speaking, I have a challenge for you this Christmas. Whatever you have going on, maybe you don't have all your kids, but you got one kid. Maybe you don't have all the family members, but you got these ones. Cling to them. When they hug you, when they give you a, a, a Whatever they do, just cherish it and hold on to it for a second. Focus on it. Whether it's a warm meal, whether it's a warm house, whether it's it's the gift you get to give or the gift that you've been given, there are going to be opportunities for you in the next nine days to find joy. And in those moments and those experiences, choose to see Jesus in all of it. I know I have, as I've prepared this message, that's what I've been looking to do, and it's crazy. This might come as a surprise to you, but my family's loud. Like, really loud. When I go to family Christmas, I'm the quiet one. And sometimes family gets unique, doesn't it? Sometimes it gets a little testy. But this Christmas, as I prepared this message, I wanted to practice what I preached to you. I went into this Christmas that we celebrated with my mom's side yesterday saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to choose to see joy. And even when the drama came, because it came yesterday, even when it came, there was just a joy of going, I'm glad the people in this room are in this room. I'm grateful I get to see my little kids open presents because it won't be that far off when they're opening presents with their own kids and I don't get to see this. When you just went into it with a different perspective of not like, oh gosh, here we go, but more of a, I'm going to look for joy today. Crazy how I found it. Found joy in all kinds of things yesterday. So wherever you're at today, I'd encourage you, look for joy. Because it's out there. Because it was in there. Now we all get to have that experience of joy. But today I'm going to pray for you and pray with you. For each person in this room, wherever you're at, I'm praying that this Christmas, regardless of what's going on, you find joy. When I pray, remember, prayer changes things. And God hears us 
and responds to us. Do you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I thank you for the birth of your son. I thank you that what you did for us was a gift unlike any other. And I pray, God, that that gift would be a gift that we hold on to more than anything else. I pray for the people in this room, the people listening online. I pray that each person that can hear my voice, whatever they have going on in their life right now, I pray, Jesus, that there would be an overwhelming sense of joy that comes over their life today, right now, this week. I pray that they would just feel the warmth, the security, the comfort, the strength, the happiness that rises up in their joy, the joy that you give us. So Jesus, today, I pray that you would bring joy in a way you'd like never before, just like you brought joy 2,000 plus years ago. Father, we give you this place. We ask that you would do this in our life, Lord. And we praise you and thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Aren't you looking forward to joy? Because I know I am. Here's what I'm looking forward to. Let's give it up. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.